MSW Media. Thanks to Thrive Cosmetics for supporting the Daily Beans. Get luxury, high-performance cosmetics that highlight your best features. For every purchase, Thrive Cosmetics donates to help women thrive. Go to thrivecosmetics.com slash dailybeans for 15% off your first order. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Wednesday, January 11th, 2023. Today, Alan Weisselberg gets his sweetheart deal during sentencing. The D.C. Circuit Court hears arguments as to why the Department of Justice should not rep Donald Trump in the E. Jean Carroll case. Alex Jones's lawyer is benched from defending the Proud Boys because of disciplinary proceedings. Dr. Dre lawyers shut down Marjorie Taylor Greene. And legal experts say the House Republicans probe into the Department of Justice is a non-starter. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Hi, everybody. Dana's traveling. It's just you and I. There is no Dana, only Zool. So today I'm the gatekeeper, minion of Gozer, the Gozerian. Uh, We have a lot of news to get to today. It's going to be an interesting show. I've got a little schadenfreude for you as well. Uh, And I can't wait for that. So why don't we just get started and hit the hot notes? Hot notes. All right. First up from ABC, Alan Weisselberg, one of the former President Donald Trump's most trusted loyal employees, was escorted out of court in handcuffs Tuesday after being sentenced to five months in jail for evading more than $1.7 million in taxes on unreported income in the form of company-provided perks that included the rent on his Manhattan apartment, the leases on cars for himself and his wife, and tuition for his grandchildren. Weiselberg, who was 75, was sentenced to five months on Rikers Island, New York City's notorious jail complex, followed by five years probation, which is probably going to be pretty hard to deal with, too. And this is after he pled guilty in August to orchestrating a 15-year tax scheme while working at the Trump Org as the chief financial officer. He appeared for his sentencing dressed casually in blue pants and a white T-shirt and an olive green fleece jacket. Quote, he is obviously dressed the way he is dressed because he expects to be remanded today. That was defense attorney Nicholas Gravante and as he was speaking to the judge. As part of the plea deal, Weisselberg testified over three days in November against the Trump organization, not Trump himself at its criminal trial, which resulted in a conviction against the company, 17 counts, for paying the personal expenses of some executives without reporting them as income and for compensating them as independent contractors instead of full-time employees. He was promised a sentence of five months in jail and five years probation in exchange for his testimony and agreed to repay nearly $2 million in taxes owed. Quote, the people believe that Mr. Weiselberg provided truthful testimony about the underlying facts of his allocution and plea. That was a prosecutor, Susan Hoffinger. Weisselberg walked a fine line during his testimony in the Trump Organization trial. He conceded he evaded $1.7 million in taxes by taking part of his compensation in off-the-books luxuries like rent, car leases, and private school tuition. He also said the scheme benefited two entities of the Trump Organization, the Trump Corporation and the Trump Payroll Corp, by causing them to have a lower payroll tax burden. However, he said nothing to implicate Trump himself in the scheme. Weisselberg, quote, knew and thought in his mind that there were benefits to the companies. That's what Hoffinger told the judge. Through the plea agreement, they called for a predetermined five-month jail term. Gravante asked for additional reduction, citing Weisselberg's lack of criminal history, (laughs) his military service, his full acceptance of responsibility, and the attorney said a lack of danger he posed to the community. Quote, each month makes a big difference when you're 75. 
because each week you're incarcerated represents a larger percentage of his life. That is not the correct math. When you're 75, a week is a smaller percentage of your life than when you're 35. Interesting. I think the words expressed by Mr. Gravante express my thoughts and my feelings, Weiselberg said. The judge declined, saying an even stiffer sentence would be appropriate for conduct driven by greed. Nobody corrected the math, but he disagreed anyway. I would be imposing a sentence much greater than that, said Judge Juan Merchan, citing evidence in the trial, the Trump organization, that Weiselberg arranged a $6,000 payment for his wife so she could later claim Social Security benefits. Quote, at a time when so many Americans work so hard in the hope they might one day benefit from their contributions to Social Security, your client found a way to get his wife a $6,000 payroll payment so she could one day receive the benefits to which she was not entitled. That's a quote from the judge. Weisselberg, while no longer on the Trump Organization's CFO, remained employed with the Trump's family real estate firm and expected to make more than a million dollars last year in salary and bonuses, according to his testimony. He pled guilty in August to one count of grand larceny in the second degree, three counts of criminal tax fraud in the third degree, one count of a scheme to defraud in the first degree, one count of conspiracy in the fourth, one count of criminal tax fraud in the fourth, four counts of offering false instrument for filing in the first degree, and four counts of falsifying business records in the first degree. Quote, Alan Weisselberg admitted in court that he used his position at the Trump org to bilk taxpayers and enrich himself. That's Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg, who gave him this weird sweetheart deal. Quote, instead of paying his fair share like everyone else, Weisselberg had the Trump organization provide him with rent-free apartment, expensive cars, private school tuition for his grandchildren, and new furniture, all without paying required taxes, unquote. Weisselberg testified at the trial of the Trump org that he reduced his reported salary by the total amount of personal expenses paid and that the company benefited by paying less in payroll taxes. He also testified his primary motive was greed. As part of the testimony, he told the story about sitting with Trump in his office on the 26th floor of Trump Tower one day in 2012 when Donald Trump Jr. walked in with checks for his father to sign to cover tuition payments for Don Jr.'s children. Trump looked over at Weisselberg with a chuckle and said, I might as well pay for your grandkids too. That's according to Weisselberg's testimony. Trump then began paying $100,000 a year for Weisselberg's two grandchildren to attend Columbia Grammar School. Weisselberg did not declare it as income and never paid taxes on it. I still think this sweetheart deal of five months is bullshit. They didn't need his testimony to get the Trump organization. He was facing 15 years and he got five months. Short of the Manhattan DA having some super secret cooperation agreement with Weisselberg against Trump himself, this is a fucking miscarriage of justice. That's my two cents. Also, from Keith Alexander at the Washington Post, the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals on Tuesday heard arguments centering on whether Donald Trump was acting within his job as president when he denied Eugene Carroll's allegations that he sexually assaulted her in the mid-90s, a legal question that is key to whether the writer's defamation suit against Trump can move forward. Lawyers for Eugene Carroll argued that Trump acted as a private citizen when he denied raping Carroll and therefore can be sued just like anyone else. Trump's lawyers and an attorney for the Department of Justice countered that, saying his responses were made as part of his job as president, which would effectively end Carroll's case against him because of protection government employees have from defamation suits. During a two and a half hour hearing, the judges pressed both sides on the boundaries of Trump's job responsibilities, and some expressed frustration that they had limited information on which to make a decision. In a series of interviews, Trump repeatedly denied the claims. In a 2019 interview with The Hill, he said, number one, she's not my type. Number two, it never happened. The interview occurred, according to this article, as Trump was seated in the Oval Office. In another interview, Trump suggested Carroll was paid by one of his adversaries to lodge such a complaint against him. 
Carroll then filed the defamation lawsuit against Trump. In court Tuesday, Josh Matz, one of Carroll's attorneys, said Trump, quote, was acting and making these statements on the basis of personal motives. And it went way beyond, subjectively in his own mind, any desire to serve any interest of the people of the United States or to simply assure people with his fitness for office. He told eight appeals court judges, this is an en banc hearing, that siding with Trump would give license to public officials to malign private citizens without repercussion. Quote, anyone who says something critical of a public official, Matt said, would be at risk of open season on them with essentially complete impunity. Carroll's position drew support from the D.C. Attorney General's office, that's Carl Racine, who also argued in court that Trump was acting outside the context of his job. Quote, these statements were made with a personal motive out of a selfish motive. That's Carolyn Van Zyl, the district solicitor general with the city's office of the attorney general. She pointed in particular to Trump's not my type remark, saying it suggests the plaintiff is not only unattractive, but too unattractive to be raped. Trump's lawyers, meanwhile, argued that Trump was responding to media inquiries on the grounds of the White House and addressing a matter which might be of broad concern to U.S. citizens because it involved allegations involving the country's commander-in-chief. Quote, these questions were thrust upon him, interesting choice of words, and he responded to the press, which is part of his job, and his Trump attorney, Alina Haba. Mark Freeman, an attorney for the Justice Department, echoed that position, though he noted the department did not view Trump's language as appropriate. Senior elected officials, Freeman said, have to be responsive to the media and the public. When they do so, they generally act within the scope of their employment. That's what Freeman said. This case had originated in New York and followed a a path that led it to the D.C. court. Late in Trump's presidency, the Justice Department argued he was acting within the scope of his duties. That was Bill Barr's Justice Department when he answered a reporter's questions about the allegations. But a federal judge in New York sided with E. Jean Carroll, ruling Trump did not qualify as a government employee under federal law, nor was he acting within the scope of his employment. And that's um, when Trump's Justice Department appealed. And in September, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit in New York overturned portions of the ruling, deciding that Trump counted as an employee of the federal government. But the federal appeals court asked the D.C. court to decide whether his statements were in the scope of his employment. So back over to the D.C. court. The judges on the D.C. appeals court on Tuesday expressed some frustration about a lack of evidence that might speak to Trump's intent. Quote, we don't have any facts in this case. We only have the bare complaint. Where does that leave us? That was Judge Catherine Easterly. Judge Corrine Beckwith pressed on whether there was anything Trump might say in response to media questions that would not be part of his job. She says, so no matter what he says in response to the media, he's doing so within his employment? And Haba says, yes, that's his job. In November, Carroll filed a separate lawsuit in New York against Trump under a new law called the Adult Survivors Act. It gives adult sexual assault survivors up to a year to file a lawsuit, regardless of when the alleged violation happened. It remains unclear when the D.C. court will issue a ruling, but a trial in the case in New York is scheduled for April. And also in the news, the Connecticut lawyer who defended Alex Jones in a defamation case brought by parents of victims of the Sandy Hook school shooting massacre has been benched from representing another high-profile client in the Proud Boys January 6th seditious conspiracy case. Biggs is charged alongside Tario, Zachary Real, Dominic Pozzola, and Ethan Nordine with seditious conspiracy, among other things, in connection with the attack on the Capitol. The five men are accused of plotting to use force to stop Congress from certifying Biden's win when mobs of Donald Trump supporters swarmed the Capitol building, causing an estimated $2.7 million in damage and forcing lawmakers and staff to either evacuate the building or shelter in place. 
Connecticut Judge Barbara Bellis on Thursday had issued an order barring Pattis, that's Jones's attorney, from practicing law for six months in the state because he had improperly shared protected information of the parents' victims of the Sandy Hook school massacre who were suing Jones for defamation. Pattis has applied for a stay of the suspension from Pattis pending an appeal. The Connecticut Office of Disciplinary Counsel has objected to that stay. Bellis has indicated she will consider the matter during a hearing Friday. And on Tuesday, Pattis, who was present in court but not participating as a lawyer, told Law and Crime that he expects Bellis to deny his request for a stay, and if so, he would appeal to the Connecticut Supreme Court. U.S. District Judge Timothy Kelly noted that federal district court rules require Pattis be in good standing in his home state in order to continue with the Proud Boys case at this time. But even without Pattis, Biggs wouldn't be without a lawyer, as he is also represented by attorney John Daniel Hull. Prosecutor McCullough, however, noted that Hull's representation also could raise a conflict of interest, as he has represented other January 6 defendants and at least one member of the Proud Boys in a deposition before the House Committee investigating the January 6th attack. So, interesting. We'll see what happens there. And from Cheney, Wu, and Carney over at Politico, and an excellent lead here. Quote, House Republicans are declaring what amounts to an investigative war on the Biden administration, pledging to probe ongoing criminal investigations at the Justice Department. Veterans of some of Congress's recent major probes and the department itself predict that they'll be told to pound sand. GOP lawmakers dramatically escalated their standoff with the administration on Tuesday by approving, on a party line vote, a wide ranging investigative panel to probe what they call the weaponization of government. It's a broad mandate that will allow the party to look into any government agency or program that it views as suspect, including the FBI, IRS, the intelligence community, making good on a key demand of a band of hardline conservatives, insurrectionists who oppose Speaker Kevin McCarthy's bid for the gavel. And this is what they do, right? The criminals, when they get in power, they investigate the crimes into themselves. We saw this with Durham as he investigated the origins of the Russia investigation and came up with a bupkis. That was very embarrassing, I guess not embarrassing enough to thwart now the insurrectionists from investigating the investigation into them. This is obvious what they're doing. It blows my mind that people can't see this. The difference between the DOJ and Durham and their investigation is that this is Congress. They don't have to indict anyone. They can just make false statements and lie. And they're free to do so because of the speech or debate clause. So it's just going to be a shit show. And in its opening salvo that promises to escalate quickly, the Justice Department is certain to fiercely protect its most sensitive investigative files, and prosecutors are simply not going to hand over information on open criminal probes. The resulting conflict promises to erode the already strained relationship between the Department of Justice and congressional Republicans. Quote, this will be a separation of powers hornet's nest. That's former House General Counsel Stan Brand, who represented witnesses before the January 6th Select Committee, including Dan Scavino, for example. Quote, in order to insulate the process from taint, the DOJ will have to draw clear lines in the sand over what they will provide. Yeah, nothing. Absolutely fucking nothing. Neil Katyal told Nicole Wallace today on uh, Deadline White House, quote, the DOJ is not under any circumstances going to turn over any investigation related material to anyone. It's just not going to happen. Unquote. That was just hours after I tweeted, the DOJ isn't going to hand over anything to the GOP House committee concerning open investigations ever. And the courts will agree they should name their committee Fetch because it's never going to happen, unquote. So 
That's just my two cents. Also, wondering if the courts are even going to uphold that. Remember every time somebody sued to not have to testify to the January 6th committee or to prevent the January 6th committee from getting their emails like John Eastman or getting their phone records like Kelly Ward in Arizona? Every time that happened, they tried to delegitimize the the committee, saying it's not a legitimate committee. It wasn't put together properly or whatever. Manafort did the same thing, as did a lot of people who were indicted by Robert Mueller, saying the Mueller investigation is illegitimate and shouldn't even exist. Nobody tried to do that to Durham, even though he was appointed from within the government and you're not supposed to be. I don't think he was even a, a qualified to be a special counsel. But regardless, uh, I don't think that, um, you know, when they go to the court, because, you know, here's here's what I'd like to see happen. I'd like to see them try to subpoena some members of Congress and have those members of Congress, like Adam Schiff, for example, or Nancy Pelosi, sue to block the subpoena and then go to the court and argue that this is not a legitimate committee. And we'll see how that pans out. Should be interesting. All right. Time for a little schadenfreude. Schadenfreude. Uh, Allow me to read to you from this letter addressed to Marjorie Taylor Greene from Lawyers for Dr. Dre. Dear Miss Taylor Green, we write you on behalf of our client, Andre Young, PKA Dr. Dre, composer and performer of the hit song Still DRE. You are wrongfully exploiting this work through the various social media outlets to promote your divisive and hateful political agenda. Andre Young is the owner of the copyright in Still DRE, with the exclusive right to exploit same. Mr. Young has not and will never grant you permission to broadcast or disseminate any of his music. The use of still DRE without permission constitutes copyright infringement in violation of 14 U.S. Code Section 501. One might expect that, as a member of Congress, you would have a passing familiarity with the laws of our country. It's possible, though, that laws governing intellectual property are a little too arcane and insufficiently populist for you to really have spent much time on. We're writing because we think an actual lawmaker should be making laws, not breaking laws, especially those embodied in the Constitution by the Founding Fathers. The United States Copyright Act says a lot of things, but one of the things it says is that you can't use someone else's song for your political campaign promotions unless you get permission from the owner of the copyright in the song, a step you failed to take. Demand is hereby made that you cease and desist from any further unauthorized use of Andre Young's music. This letter shall constitute formal notice to you of the matter set forth herein. Accordingly, please provide me with written confirmation that you have complied with these demands before January 11th, 2023, 5 p.m. Eastern Time. So there you have it. I I particularly love the, uh, you would think an actual lawmaker should be making laws, not breaking laws. Thank you for that little bit of schadenfreude today. Dr. Dre, I appreciate you. All right. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with the good news. If you have any good news, send it into us at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey everyone, my new favorite place to buy makeup and skincare products is Thrive Cosmetics. They make the best high-performance beauty and skincare products made with clean, skin-loving ingredients. There's no parabens, sulfates, or phthalates. And they're certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free. Plus, every purchase supports organizations that help communities thrive. They have a lot of products that I absolutely adore. They are staples. I cannot live without them. Their Sheer Strength Hydrating Lip Tint is one. 
It's lightweight, non-sticky. It deeply hydrates my lips with just a hint of tint that applies evenly and lasts up to six hours. It's effortless to apply. You won't even need a mirror. I also adore their Infinity Waterproof Eyeliner. It's waterproof and smudge-proof, which I need. It's bold and intense, and the mistake-proof formula glides on seamlessly. I use it every day. And just last week, I started using their filtered effects all over the face brush. It's so good, I could never go back to the brush I was using before. And Cause, C-A-U-S-E, is in the name Cosmetics for a good reason. With over 300 giving partners, every purchase goes to helping local communities thrive. They help all sorts of important causes, like with domestic violence, LGBTQ plus issues, and homelessness. Now is a great time to try Thrive Cosmetics for yourself. Right now, you can get 15% off your first order when you visit thrivecosmetics.com slash dailybeans. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash dailybeans for 15% off your first order. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news, everyone? Then good news, everyone. Good news, good news. And if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, you want to play what the mutt, you want to send baby photos, animals in costumes, animals wearing human clothes, naked cats wearing wigs is my new favorite, uh, frog orgies, uh, anything you want to send to us at all, please send that in to us by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact and we will read your submission on the air. First up, a correction. I love y'all, but a correction must be issued for in Long Island. It's on. Long Island. I grew up hearing if you want to be in Long Island, dig a hole. (laughs) Love a native Long Islander. Thank you so much for the correction. Uh, We were quoting an article and I will submit that to them as well. And I will make sure that I do not make that mistake again. Next up from Angela B. Oh my God, AG and Dana. I've never laughed so hard at my dog's name. (laughs) Dana had it right. It's technically a shorter version of peanut. No. No, I refuse to believe it. Mostly because she also gets called Miss P or the nut. She's 12-year-old bossy AF Lhasa Apso and will absolutely let you call her Panoot now. (laughs) For pet tax, I'm sharing Panoot and her brother from another mother, Mop. He's a judgmental little toot of a Brussels Griffon mix. Oh my God, I love Brussels Griffon. (gasps) Look at him. Oh my God. That dog is... (laughs) These are the cutest dogs, Angela. Look at the beard. On the br- it's like a Brussels Griffon with long hair. Oh, so adorable. And of course, Panute looks wonderful. Thank you for sending that in. I appreciate it. But yeah, it's, got, it's, it's Panute. But you know, Peanut's great. It's a great name. Next up from Derek, pronouns he and him. Hi, hot news ladies. I sing that every morning when I'm listening. After being partnered for almost 20 years, his family consistently voted for the GOP. Ah, this year during our holiday festivities, his mom and sister said they'd never vote for a Republican again. They now know who Katie Porter is and were strong supporters of Gretchen Whitmer. Remember, both had never voted for a Dem before. Also, my independent parents in Wisconsin have never put up a political sign in their conservative area and proudly put up a Biden-Harris sign this past election. Bring people with you and talk to them about why voting blue is essential. Pet tax. Meet River the Dane, adopted in August. Seven-year-old Lanseer Nufi Koa. And a 14.5 Newfie Yukon. River wasn't thrilled about wearing a costume on her first Halloween with us, but she will learn. Happy 2023, and thanks for all you do. <laughs> look at the lion's roar. Oh, look at these babies. Ugh, 
so, so cute. That's okay. So there is now no room on the couch for you with the Dane and the Newfies here on the, on this giant sectional. Oh my God. So beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Next up from anonymous pronoun, she and her. We had a rough few weeks just before Thanksgiving. My 14 year old Boston Terrier Floyd had to have his eye removed. While technically the surgery was a success, it caused a lot of issues for his already failing mental health. His dementia was getting worse by the day. A few days before Christmas, our French exchange student had to have her appendix out. While I was in the hospital with her, our heat went out. Then, in the middle of all that, we had to say goodbye to Floyd. That same day, my gymnast daughter was diagnosed with a stress reaction in her skin just before her season is set to start. We managed to get through the holidays with a ski trip to Colorado. It was a good week to just relax and spend time with family. The exchange student is back to normal. My daughter's shins are healing. The heat has been fixed, and we found a puppy, Toast, on Pet Finder. We applied to get him, but figured it was a long shot because he was a puppy. Last Thursday, we got the call that if he got along with our three-year-old Frenchie, Orville, he was ours. We drove out on Friday, and as expected, the boys got along just fine. We found out that Toast was surrendered to the shelter on the same day we said goodbye to Floyd. It was meant to be. If the East Coast Brussels Griffon rescue hadn't saved him, he was scheduled for euthanasia on the 21st of December because he was deemed unfriendly. The baby was simply traumatized because he is the furthest thing from unfriendly. Please remind everyone to support their local rescues. They wouldn't have been able to save Toast without it. Toast was from the Brussels Griffon rescue, but he's not a Brussels Griffon. I know what they said they think he was, but I would love for you to take a guess. The first picture is Floyd after his eye surgery. The second is Oroville and Floyd snuggling. And the third is Toast. Scroll down for what we were told he is. Oh, look at the baby. Hello. Oh, the Frenchie and the baby hugs. Is that like a little drool bib there on the on the couch for the Frenchie? Okay, now let's look at this baby and see if we can guess what uh, what Toast is. From the Brussels Griffon Rescue. Not a Brussels Griffon. Looks a little beagly, maybe, with some chihuahua and the pointy ears. Huh. I don't know. Shepherd? He looks small. He looks like a small, but he's adorable. Let's see what we've got here. Corgi chihuahua mix. All right, I got the chihuahua, but I mistook the corgi for beagle, but that makes sense. The ears make sense. They say Corgi to me. What a beautiful sweetheart. Congratulations on the new addition to your family. I'm glad everybody's doing better. Next up, SB, pronoun she and her. Hi, Beans Queens. I've only recently found you and I'm envious of everyone who has listened since those kitchen table days. You quickly became one of my favorite podcasts and you're definitely the most astute at the political news and being entertaining. Thanks for all your efforts. I've canceled several subscriptions this month so I can join your Patreon soon. I have an appeal for you to help find a forever home for our foster dog, Coco. The local shelter in the Fort Lauderdale area calls us when they have dogs who cannot handle the shelter environment, and we take them in until they can be rehomed. Coco is the most recent, and she's a female boxer mix, about 55 pounds, about two years old. She's energetic, playful, and enjoys running in the backyard or the dog park. She loves people, and she's highly affectionate. Even at her size, she wants to be a lap dog. I've sent you photos that I think display her beauty and personality. If any local listeners are looking to add some unconditional love to their lives and are interested in adopting Coco, please pass them on to us. 
for our pet tax. I've included a photo of our own herd of three having a couch sleepover. From left to right, Diamond, Dexter, Barry, and Coco. There's also a cat, but he didn't make it into the photo. (laughs) While Diamond is obviously a beagle, I plan to write you back when I get our doggy DNA results on the other two so we can play what the mutt. Testing the dogs was a holiday present for the family, and we're excited to find out their mixes. All right, if you're in the Fort Lauderdale area and you would like a 55-pound, deliciously wonderful, unconditional, loving boxer girl named Coco, just send us an email. Hello at Muller, she wrote. Put Coco in the subject line, and we'll make sure SB gets it. Look at all these babies. Obviously, Beagle. I'm interested. I can't wait to try to guess the other ones. And then, oh, she's beautiful. She's brindle, but red. I've never seen anything like that. The coloring is incredible. And she's got a little uh, lip caught on the tooth, which is hilarious. And one ear's up, one's floppy. Absolutely beautiful dog. So if you're in Fort Lauderdale and you want Coco, send us an email. Hello at Muller, she wrote. Put Coco in the subject line. We'll put you in touch. Thank you so much, everybody, for sharing your good news. I really appreciate it. Uh, Dana will be back, I think, tomorrow. I hope, maybe, maybe, I'll look it up. But either way, the news will get to you, I promise. And um, gosh, uh, I'm excited to say I've been invited back to the White House next week. I'll be there. Uh, I'll see if we can set up, if I have enough time to set up a meet and greet for patrons and see if we can get that done. Uh, But otherwise, I just want uh, everybody to have a great night. I'll be back tomorrow at the very least. (laughs) I think Dana will be here too. Until then, everybody, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Vote blue over Q and bring someone with you. I've been AG and them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. <laughs>